Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road campus. Yeah, so today's the last of this series, Jesus is the Word, and this month we've uh, uh, attempted to kind of give some broad, overarching theological uh, messages about how the, our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with his word are, are intertwined and interconnected and understanding that in a kind of a bigger theological way. And next month, we're actually going to take another month on scripture and get more practical, talk about how to understand scripture, even go through some uh, uh, how to use different Bible tools like commentaries and dictionaries. So we're going to kind of take next month and drill deeper. I actually spent a whole day, and some sermons come together really quickly, um, but that one, it took me a couple of days to, and then I worked all day, like nine hours, which normally I can, when I sit down to actually write a sermon, it's, it's usually just a few hours, but um, by the end of the day, I still didn't like it. It's like, yeah, yeah. It was kind of like a, yeah. and I woke up on, on Friday and I thought, I'm just going to chuck it and, and do a whole different message, and it came to like, uh, eat a little easier. Um, it, uh, and it's a little bit different than what uh, the rest of the month has been. Is, uh, I felt like, you know what, we just need to talk about why we can trust God's Word. And this is something that I've been hearing many people struggle with. And, uh, you know, it's like, we're taking all this time to talk about the Bible. Uh, maybe let's just talk about why we can trust God's Word. Is the Bible, God's Word, is, God, is the Bible trustworthy? Um, <clears throat> it's a legitimate question, first of all. Uh, don't, you know, if someone asks that, or if you find yourself asking that, don't dismiss it. It's something you should check into, all right? Someone, uh, but it wasn't too long ago, within the last year, um, confessed that they were struggling with doubts about their faith. And I'm like, you know what? Doubts about your faith is, is okay. Like, it's not inherently wrong. It's not a failure to go, is this true? Like, stop and go, well, wait a minute. I don't know. Maybe you've picked up. <laughs> Often in my sermons, I'll say, do you really believe that? Because you need to say, do, do I really believe that? And that in and of itself isn't, isn't wrong. It's not necessarily even of the enemy. It can be. But it can be just going like, oh, I need more information. And you know what you should do? Good. Get more information. Study it. Dig into it. Answer it. And... Um, uh, and so it's legitimate. You need to know for yourself so you can be assured, and you need to know for those who you live with so that you can communicate why you believe Scripture. Now, none of the reasons that I'm going to be sharing today on its own, or even all of them combined, can prove without a shadow of a doubt. But they can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the Bible is trustworthy, the Bible is as it claims to be, the Bible is God's word. Does that make sense? Um, and, uh, you know, <clears throat> to twist a common uh, uh, historical quote, you can convince 
some of the people most of the time, and most of the people some of the time, but you can't convince all of the people all of the time. All right. <laughs> if I've learned anything in those last two years, regardless of the amount of evidence, some people will still not believe facts. Amen? Think about that, and maybe you'll figure out what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, so reason number one is it claims to be God's word. All right? It's pretty clear. In fact, thousands of times throughout Scripture, it says the word of the Lord, and the Lord's word, or God spoke, and God appeared. And so it is a record of many, many uh, actual experiences of people encountering God or people writing down uh, God's word in many places it uh, references it directly. Uh, here's a couple from uh, uh, the New Testament and 2 Timothy. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And by the way, when it says in the New Testament, uh, all scripture, they really knew what he was talking about. Okay, that wasn't like a vague, all spiritual documents. <laughs> when uh, uh, Paul wrote that to Timothy, he was referring to what we call the Old Testament, which had long been, for hundreds and hundreds of years, already accepted as the Old Testament canon, the collection of sacred books, what we call from Genesis to Malachi. They actually had them in a little bit different order in the Hebrew Bible. But they were already clearly recognized for many centuries as uh, uh, scripture, inspired writings. And so when, when uh, Paul writes this in the New Testament, it's talking about the Old Testament, and then there's actually uh, uh, verses that refer in the New Testament to other New Testament writings along with the Old Testament as uh, God-inspired. And so we believe the scripture is, uh, is the uh, inspiration of God. And the New Testament, by the way, Again, when the um, church leaders in the early days of the church gathered together and canonized or recognized which books to include in the Bible, it, there wasn't a big argument, okay? It's not like uh, you hear all of these crazy ideas like, uh, uh, you, know, um, you know, some king just decided. No, the leaders of the church who were most... Um, studied and aware of the history and the language and the authorship and the contents of these books, recognize these are the ones that are clearly inspired. And throughout all of history, there's this, uh, there is a united consensus as to what is regarded as Holy Scripture. And so all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction, in righteousness. So in Scripture, it testifies that Scripture is inspired by God. Here's the other, uh, another verse from the New Testament, Peter writing, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So there was a clear understanding that Scripture was inspired by God. Now, it's, this is different than other religious texts. For example, the Quran, which was written by uh, Muhammad uh, and, uh, and is 
uh, you know, respected by those who practice Islam. Uh, uh, and he wrote the entirety of the Quran and claims it was dictated to him by an angel. All right? And so it's very different. Inspiration in a biblical sense is very, very different than dictation. It's also the Book of Mormon was dictated by an angel. But this is actually the inspiration. In other words, the, the prophets were moved or inspired or uh, directed. And so there's this combination of the actual human. When you read Paul, you can get a sense of who Paul was. When you read Jeremiah, you know, you get a sense of who he was, his person. You could probably do an Enneagram study. <laughs> I only know the one Enneagram, the one I am, because it's the most important one. <laughs> Which means I'm an eight and <laughs> wing seven, by the way, but just for fun. Anyway, <clears throat> so there's, there, it was inspired by God, and it clearly says that and claims that throughout all of Scripture. So either the Bible is what it is, or it's the biggest book of lies ever produced. All right, because if it's going throughout the whole uh, 66 books uh, claiming to be God's word and it's not, then we should burn it. Yeah, yeah. And how can a book of such influence uh, not be true if it has endured so long? And so that's the idea. Because it claims that in and of itself doesn't prove it is. But you have to take that into consideration. Second thing, historical accuracy. I'm not going through these in any particular order, just whatever came to mind as I was writing the, the sermon. Historical accuracy, this is a big one. Uh, you, can, you can study this. There's books written to no end. Um, you actually can follow different uh, archaeological uh, societies that, that talk about archaeological finds. You know, when I was in Israel, actually, it's one of the things uh, you notice pretty quickly is that everywhere they're digging up uh, uh, his historical information because there's archaeological sites all through the nation of Israel. Uh, and so there's, they're constantly unearthing new discoveries, and, and all of them confirm Scripture. In fact, no archaeological evidence has ever contradicted the historical account in Scripture, and countless finds have confirmed the biblical account. In other words, every archaeological find, <clears throat> there are, of course, many of them have not connected to the Bible whatsoever, right? Because there was many, many societies going on. But if they do find something, it lines up with Scripture and often affirms details in Scripture. <clears throat> the Bible is not about imaginary people in fictitious places. It's not a myth. It's not made up. It's actually the account of real people and real events. And so we should expect to find evidence of that. And in finding evidence of that, that it supports our belief that this is actually true, that people recorded in the Bible actually lived. It's, it's interesting to find um, that the many people, they, they discount, they didn't think Pontius Pilate was in, an actual person until just fairly recently they found an historical find with Pontius Pilate's actual name on it, all right? And so <clears throat> a good scientist 
uh, by the way, demands proof. And so, uh, um, you know, they'll say, if, if we don't have proof, we can't say it for sure. Uh, but once they find proof, then they say, oh, yeah, it's it. And so when they find evidence, it confirms. Uh, historians, this was uh, in the uh, uh, early 1800s, <clears throat> didn't believe King David actually uh, was portrayed accurately. They thought he was just exaggerated. One uh, commentator, uh, historical book, said that it was almost like he was the Santa Claus of the Jewish uh, culture because he like fulfilled everything. It was so great. It was so great. It was too good to be true. Until they found an archaeological dig in a, an Assyrian library that referred to King David, the Jewish king. And then later, David's house was also discovered in the old city uh, of modern Jerusalem. You can go actually tour it. The account of the flood is another uh, uh, event that is recorded in many, many different cultural traditions. The most uh, common or the most... Uh, uh, often referred to as the Gilgamesh epic. How many have read it? Oh, really? Good. It's an interesting little book. <laughs> and it is very, very, very similar to the biblical story of the flood. And it's believed to be based on the same event, but having gone through a different culture's perspective. In other words, what we believe is that uh, the stories were passed down through a different culture that eventually ended up in a story that is similar but not the same. Uh, and so a major event. And, and the fact that you find this story of this massive flood in so many different cultures uh, is a, a strong evidence that it actually happened. And then there's geological evidences as well. <clears throat> and so the biblical uh, account, we believe, is more accurate because it's the inspired word of God, and God was supernaturally involved in maintaining its accuracy. It was once claimed that there was no Assyrian king named Sargon, which is uh, recorded in Isaiah 20. They just thought, you know, this was another story that was made up until in, they were digging an archaeological site in Iraq, and they came across his palace. Now, this is really famous because on one of the palace walls is a depiction of the very event that's described in Isaiah 20, where this king conquered the city of Ashdod, uh, which I've been to Ashdod. <clears throat> uh, and uh, when I was there, it's a really nice city now. It was actually um, completely destroyed and uh, was literally nothing when uh, the um, uh, Israel was reestablished in the 40s and has been rebuilt as a modern city. But uh, the story being depicted, you can Google it, you can see pictures of the um, mural on the palace wall that depicts exactly what was told in Isaiah 20. So this text from thousands of years ago was confirmed by an archaeological dig. Uh, the New Testament, because it was more recently written and more easily verified, uh, is a description of people and places and events. And it's considered one of the most, if not the most, actually it's considered the most accurate historical record known. Luke, who wrote um, uh, the, the, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, uh, was um, uh, particularly interested in details. And so there's all kinds of little geographical details about uh, Paul's trips 
and different places that they've found to the precise uh, ex uh, description that, that Luke uh, has described in, in his writings. They've actually found these places. And again, there's tons and tons and tons of information that you can find if you take the time, and some people dedicate their whole lives to this. There's too many uh, uh, affirmations in the archeological finds to, to mention, but there's tons of it. So again, this doesn't prove it's God's word, but it does confirm the validity of the stories. And time and time again, the stories of scripture are confirmed through archeological finds. Uh, and that moves it from the genre of myth, fiction, to history. All right, does that make sense? All right. uh, other religious writings don't even claim to be history. They just claim to be philosophical uh, writings or ethical codes or actually um, fables to teach uh, truths or wisdom. The Bible contains truths, the Bible contains ethical codes, but the Bible is historically accurate. It's the depiction of events and people's lives that really, really happened, and we can have confidence. If the accounts in the Bible are true in every way that we can verify, then we must deal with the miracles described in Scripture or uh, in other words, I'll get to this. Uh, so because there's so many accurate historical references in Scripture, mixed in with them are all these miracles, we have to say, well, what about the miracles? Even if you never see a miracle personally, you have to deal with the evidence of miracles in the Bible. All right? I've never seen much, if not most, of the stuff I believe. Right. I mean, I really have never seen nuclear fission or fusion. I mean, I suppose if I look at the sun, someone could say that's what you're seeing. But I don't know. This is like a bright thing in the sky. Right? I, uh, you know, I've never seen DNA. Have you? No. Do you believe it's true? No. no. I've never seen my pancreas. <laughs> you pray for it, it's having a little trouble. No, pancreas not having trouble, the rest of my body. You know, I've never seen my heart. I can feel something bumping in there. All right. And so. <clears throat> Uh, but I have evidence of all these things. And so I believe them based on evidence. Everything you believe, you believe it based on some kind of evidence. And so this is evidence. And the evidence, it shouts that there are there is a God who's supernatural. Right? And the world we live in is actually filled with the supernatural. So here's my little thing. <laughs> The parts of the world we understand is the realm of the supernatural that we just have figured out, right? And, and the parts of it we don't understand, the, the miracles, is part of the same continuum that we haven't yet come to understand. In other words, it's not like the supernatural is some obscure, disconnected 
God interrupts. It's just part of, it's all supernatural. How do you take a dead seed, throw it in the dirt, throw on some water, and have a giant tree come up that produces fruit? I mean, that's, that's crazy. All right, have you thought about that? A dead seed, give it some time, and it'll have produce dinner? It's amazing. It's our, the whole of the world is supernatural. We just understand some of it, so we don't think that's supernatural anymore. Uh-huh. But if you'd never seen anything like that, and, and, and you'd been living in a, uh, you know, a room your whole life, and you stepped out and saw, you know, uh, you know, last night I went for a walk at sunset. It was like amazing. Birds flying through the air. It's a miracle. Anyway, <clears throat> you got to deal with the evidences of Scripture, uh, of miracles in the Scripture. How can an otherwise reliable historical record um, be so easily discounted if it's describing a miracle? In other words, um, it, it, if the Bible is accurate in every other way that we can prove, then we must at least consider it's accurate describing things that are unprovable. Does that make sense? If it tells you the truth and if you base so much, uh, I mean, so much of our society is based on the ethical truths revealed through Scripture, then we have to say some of these things we don't understand, they're probably true too. And that is reasonable. And it's unreasonable not to believe it. You need more evidence to disprove evidence you can't even produce. The existence of the nation of Israel, oh my goodness, in and of itself is an incredible miracle and a testimony to the truthfulness of Scripture. Do you have any idea how many ancient cultures uh, have come and gone? Right? The Mayan Empire, the Aztecs. These are massive, influential cultures. Even the Roman Empire. Right? They come and go, totally forgotten, at this little teeny country in, you know, this obscure place still remains. And the fact that they, they've been reinstated to their actual homeland is... It's just almost unbelievable. Right? The descendants of one man, Abraham. Not only are they surviving, not only can you find people that may be still related to, like you can, uh, the Aztecs or the Mayans, but they have a nation, they speak a language, and they're actually quite prosperous. All right? Similarly, the church, the existence of the church is one of the most reliable examples or most um, <clears throat> reliable examples of the reliability of the New Testament. Okay? Countless cults have come and gone. But the church endures. Not only does it endure, but it is by far the largest religion in the world. Over a third of the population of the planet claims Jesus Christ as their God. How does that happen? if not by the hand of God. Again, in and on itself, it doesn't prove it, but you can't dismiss the power of that argument. 
the fact that it has endured and it's prospering and it's growing and its influence is increasing is it must be based on something solid or else it would have fallen apart by now. Number four, you have the testimony of Jesus himself. Jesus believed Scripture to be the inspired Word of God. His entire life, everything he said, is based on the written Word of God. Jesus says, don't think that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. Uh, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or title will will by no means pass from the law till it's all fulfilled. In another place, he answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God. He refers to the Bible as the commandment of God because of your tradition. For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and he who curses father and mother, let them be put to death. So he quotes part of the Old Testament and says this was the command of God. This is another interesting, a little bit obscure passage from John 10. Uh, Jesus was talking to them about a particular uh, verse. He says, is it not written in your law, I said you are God's? Uh, If he called them gods to whom the word of God, Jesus called it the word of God, came, and the scriptures cannot be broken. The testimony of Jesus was the scriptures cannot be broken. Why? Because of the word of God. Why do you say of him whom the Father sanctified, referring to himself, and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I say, I said, I am the son of God. So he's responding to them, criticizing him for him calling himself the son of God. So clearly he did claim that, as it reveals in this text. He also says that was based on a scriptural proof text. All right. And so in this, we see Jesus's respect for the Bible as God's word, as well as him claiming divinity. So the life and impact of Jesus throughout history is an extraordinary proof of the validity of the Bible's claim. How can one man who lived in a remote country in the ancient world influence so dramatically the history of the world? And you can look at world history, and there's a hinge. Everything changed when Jesus came, right? And it's not only Western civilization. Uh, Do remember, Israel is in Asia, (laughs) Asia Minor, so the Western portion of the continent of Asia. And so all of world history in the early church for many centuries, Africa was the center of, Northern Africa uh, was the center of Christianity. And then later it moved to uh, Europe and the Catholic and the Orthodox churches expanded. And so the whole of world history was influenced by the life of this guy named Jesus who never wrote a book. He drew in the sand, right? He only lived to be maybe 33, yet he changed the world. you got to deal with that. Testimony of eyewitnesses. People may die for what they believe to be true, even if it isn't. Okay, so dying for something doesn't prove it's true. It just proves that that person who died believed it to be true and worth dying for. But who would suffer and die for something they knew was a lie? Nobody. All right? All of the disciples except John were martyred 
many of them beaten off and many times. And Jod himself was, was um, uh, tortured and imprisoned because of their belief in the resurrection and the, uh, and the whole truths contained in Scripture. Now, if they'd made it up, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have gone to the death Thousands of others early Christians who were witnesses of Jesus' life and teaching and the resurrection likewise suffered, and many died when they could easily have recanted if they knew it wasn't true. And you have to put that into the equation. How could so many people suffer so much for something if they knew it was fabricated? Well, they... It wasn't fabricated, so they were willing. So the record of so many witnesses and, listen, the inability of the Roman Empire, which was at that time by far the most powerful uh, government and military that had ever existed, and the Jewish religious system and leaders who were hand-in-hand with the Romans at that time, very, very powerful, if they were not able to prove or disprove the resurrection, all right? I mean, they had all of the resources. And you know, we got to understand, the world was a lot smaller then, okay? I mean, now we have 7 billion people. It's, you know, actually, you go to Israel and Jerusalem, it's a massive city. But old Jerusalem, like the hotel we stayed at the first night when we got to Jerusalem, it was on a hill, and there was a valley, and there was old Jerusalem. I could see the whole thing. Like, there it is. Now, the modern city expanded way, way beyond. But at that time, it was, it was just, you know, it was a city. And it was completely in the middle of the Roman Empire. And all of the rulers, they could easily have said, hey, Jesus isn't, didn't rise from the dead. Here's his body. Hang it in the middle of the town so everybody can see it. But they couldn't. And that's one of the strongest evidences of the truthfulness of Scripture because the Roman Empire and the Jewish leaders, uh, uh, you know, they were losing their power because of the claims of Christianity and they couldn't disprove it. All right? They spread rumors, but they couldn't disprove it. Why? Because it's true. Jesus rose from the dead. Here's another one that I think is significant is the continuity. The Bible is a compilation of 66 separate writings by 40 authors over a period of about 1,500 years, living in 13 different countries on three continents. Okay? Parts of it were written uh, in at least three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, possibly others. Um, <clears throat> despite the vast differences in the cultures of these different authors, the vast differences in education and language, many of the authors didn't know of or even have read other portions of Scripture, there is an amazing continuity of thought and purpose throughout all of Scripture. Okay? It's difficult to ensure continuity within a series of movies. (laughs) In our modern age, think about it. These people didn't have computers. Yet it's consistent, supernaturally consistent through all. All right, <clears throat> especially in the representation of the person 
and the purposes of God, his will, his ways, morality, uh, the nature of good and evil, uh, the frailty and brokenness of mankind, and all of the major issues, it's completely consistent from start to finish, and in uh, nearly all of the minor issues. You have to look hard to find contradictions in Scripture, and those contradictions, if you stop, and they're there to force you to think a little deeper, and you'll see the connectedness and it actually just communicates a more important point. So although it's been copied and translated many times, um, the Bible is consistent. Modern versions of the text are nearly perfect, uh, uh, perfectly consistent compared to ancient manuscripts. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found in the mid-40s. They were written uh, uh, between the 3rd century B.C. and the 1st century A.D., so they're writings that span several hundred years. And they did a study, they compared the words, uh, word for word, <clears throat> between this uh, old text that was discovered and the text that they already had in place. And they were word for word identical 95% of the time. There were minor variants consisting mostly of little slips of the pen or spelling changes. There were only 13 changes discovered in the entire Dead Sea uh, Scrolls copy of Isaiah. Eight of those changes, again, slight different spelling of words or different uh, way of writing the word, which commonly happens as the language evolves. Um, eight of them were already known. So there was a thousand year gap that that text was copied many, many, many times. And then they found one from a thousand years, and they compared it to the one that had been copied so many times, and it was accurate, almost 100%, and the changes were minor and inconsequential. No meaning changes. Uh, it was mainly the pronunciation of a, a few words and the spelling. And so that means that the system that the priests had in place to maintain the accuracy worked. And that God was in, supernaturally involved in it. There are, a lot of people don't understand this. Anybody that studied it really gets irritated, but we kind of keep our mouth shut. Because <laughs> people complain about, oh, the Bible, I think this is a video clip I thought of showing. The guy said, the Bible's been copied millions of times. No, it hasn't been copied millions of times, maybe thousands. And it's been translated countless times. Well, there's not that many translations. But the translations that we have just help us put those original words into more contemporary expression. And they're compared with approximately 30,000 verified historical documents from the first several centuries of the New Testament. Did you hear me? 30,000. And, and people spend their whole lives just making sure that any new translation doesn't violate any of the previous ancient 30,000 copies of New Testament texts. When you read the New Testament, you can be more assured it's accurately translating the original than when you read an article in the news is accurately depicting what the, a person who wrote that article wrote. Because editors make mistakes constantly. Seriously. Why? Because there's so much uh, duplication and references they can refer. 
parts of the New Testament are as old as 125 AD, which were uh, excerpts from John, the uh, writings of John who wrote, he was penned the, the, the latest parts of the New Testament. And there may have only been a 30 or 35 year gap between the original and the copy that we have. So that copy could have been made based on the original. All right, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so no writing has ever been scrutinized anywhere close to scripture. All right, and despite the continued attack, its trustworthiness continues and it actually gets reinforced and it's respected and it continues to be the top selling book in, in the world. All right, number seven, it answer, this is the one that convinces me. It answers adequately the condition of mankind. The message of the Bible from the origin of the universe to the purpose of existence has been found to satisfy the hunger in countless people's lives for meaning and truth. Are you hearing me? It answers the questions that really matter. The Bible's unique in representing a God who became human in order to, rec to rescue a humanity from their own rebellion. Its story is different than every other religion, radically, massively, and that's why it impacts so many people, I believe, because it's true. Many, many religions have scriptures that communicate ethics, religious uh, requirements, uh, codes of conduct. Billions and billions of people have been transformed and had the hardest questions in their lives answered by the stories in this text, all right? And so you have to, have to include that in your evaluation. Is this trustworthy? Well, it's so many lives have been changed positively from this book. How could it not be trustworthy? And I think the worldview presented in Scripture um, compared to the competing worldviews, if you don't know what worldviews is, Google it, uh, is not only reliable... <laughs> It's understandable, it's relevant, it just works better. And if you want a book to read, The Universe Next Door, fantastic book. I actually met James Sire, gave him a ride in a car back when I was 19 or 20. <laughs> um, so uh, he doesn't remember, he's dead now, but um, great book. <clears throat> it covers in a very readable way the different major um, worldviews compared to Christianity. All right, prophetically accurate. Uh, Bible contains about 2,500 prophecies, of which uh, uh, a couple thousand of those have been fulfilled. 300 prophecies concerning the life of Jesus, things like him being born in Bethlehem, living for a time in Egypt, raised in Galilee, actually pierced for our transgressions. Uh, uh, it says that in a prophecy concerning him. Unjustly die of a criminal's death. There's just so many different specifics, Peter referred to this a few weeks ago, that have been filled. And you can't discount uh, these prophecies that were fulfilled um, uh, in a book that is respected in every other way. Number nine, transformed lives. Uh, the lives of so many people have been changed by reading scripture. I know of several people that got saved. Uh, one's a pastor in British Columbia, another is a man who formerly attended this church years and years ago. As a young hippie, he just came across the Bible and thought he'd read through Proverbs because, you know, wisdom, it was cool. And he got saved somehow reading the book of Proverbs. 
Seriously. And he still is a Christian. God, you know. And so many, many people just pick up and read the Bible, and they, they get some, they, they, their lives are changed. Uh, for those who believe and practice what Scripture teaches, their lives are changed dramatically, positively, massively. My life has been changed. Uh, and so you have to include the changed lives as evidence of the veracity, the truthfulness, and reliability of this book. Now, anything can change a person's life, a love story, a song, a movie, but something written so long ago that continues to transform individuals, families, whole societies, you know, it's it's, without question the influence of Christianity is what overcame the institution of legal slavery. Without question. Uh, it's actually the message of the Bible that has elevated uh, uh, women to have equal rights with men. Without question. Like, this is historically not even debated. All right? So much of hospitals were in the idea of a hospital was invented by people living out the scriptural command to care for the sick. Right? Jesus' command. And so whole societies have been parts of society that we just take for granted. Uh, you know, was this book being implemented. And then you have uneducated people, right? People, people that haven't gone into school whatsoever, or even disabled people. I've known people that could barely talk, uh, as well as incredibly, C.S. Lewis, I mean, come on, unbelievably educated, intelligent people they all testify that this book has changed their lives. It's not dependent on your education. It's dependent on the truth that's contained. The impact of the Bible transcends all differences of race, ethnicity, social uh, backgrounds, economic backgrounds, lifestyles, upbringing, all of that. It's, it, it's universally applicable. I love that. I was in, I, I'm going long. It's because last Sunday it went short. <laughs> um, I love when I go to another nation. When I was in the Ukraine, I met this guy who grew up in the Soviet Union, right? And then when I was growing up, the Soviet Union was the enemy. And, and him and I were communicating. He was able to speak English, thankfully. And I was, like, just shocked at how similar we were. I mean, Mitko, you've met him as another example. Uh, you know, we're brothers even though everything else about our life is different. Okay, final one is the Holy Spirit confirmation. Uh, Jesus said, however, when he, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth has come, he will give you, uh, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Another place, 1 Corinthians, explained this way. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So uh, who inspired the Bible? Holy Spirit. So the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit because they seem foolish to a natural man. Oh, that's ridiculous. So at some point, the Holy Spirit needs to get through 
and convince. All right? Jesus said uh, to Nicodemus, said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom or the things of God. All right? And so there is a spiritual dynamic at play when someone is doubting the veracity, the trustworthiness of the Bible. Regardless of the amount of evidence, we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit to reveal to a person, an individual, that the Bible is genuinely God's word. There has to be a spiritual touch. Now, I believe that anyone that responds even to a little bit, the Holy Spirit will do whatever he can. I mean, he can squeeze through the tiniest crack. All right? And once he gets in, he expands. And so, um, and you know, our job as Christians is to live the word out so that people go take time and consider. And if they take time to consider the scripture and ask the question, could this be true? This is what happened to me. I was walking through a field, and actually I did it many times, saying, God, if you're real, prove it to me. And someone came and started quoting the scripture, and my life was transformed, and it's never been the same. 